this is Monday, March 27th, 2000, meeting number 2,504. I'm going to continue to try to read or to get through some more of these. I don't know why I bother mentioning that. What hell difference does it make? <laughs> Now you got me started. <laughs> well, there's two things. One I've been planning to bring up, I've mentioned it in passing, about cutting down speech to absolute, bare declarative sentences. Another one is considering all amounts of prefacing. It's to notice how often you're about to say something and you give a preface to it. You know I've made fun about books for years. In fact, I made fun, if you remember, I wrote an introduction to Magnus. At least I liked it. An introduction was stating how I had no introduction. If any of you don't remember it, and pointing out how foolish it was that people always use an introduction or a preface, I forget which I called it, but that authors always use it to apologize beforehand for their incompetence. You know, they always say, well... I've been playing this book and I thought it would come out real good but it turns out I had a uh, I got leprosy in the meantime and of course I've been fairly sick and it took a lot of my time having to you know pick at the sores and you know something like that you know, plus all my family died you know my mother twice <laughs> but anyway I thought all of you remember that so I made fun of it and I've done it since then but people do it constantly and I just sit here and did it. I didn't make a real apology, but I made a preface. Here I am for you people on tape. I got this stack of papers. It's still a, a bunch of them. I just stick a number on it. But I started reading them last time and didn't finish. And so here I am again this time. And I had to speak on the matter. Or I did. That they're here in my hand. If you're sitting here looking, you know I'm about to read them. But I preface reading them by saying, well, I think I'll read these. Now, we could say, if we were ordinary people, that that is simply ordinary social conversation. And that adding a few extra words doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, probably. But then I have also considered, I've never mentioned it, but maybe to one of you one time we were talking, but the whole idea of being a recluse, especially in the, those kinds of reclusive community or monastic uh, settings wherein normally silence is the rule. Uh, see, I was going to make up this story that there was one time a mystical system that this guy had, and it only had one method, that the only thing that he taught to lead to enlightenment was to never say the word but, which is a whole other one. There's really three things I could have brought up. It's consider the word but. I consider back several weeks ago when I was mentioning using talk, the brain using talk overtly to shut off or to eradicate or to make you ignore the inner talk. And I was mentioning all the sorts of things that are abstract ideas and asking if you'd ever pondered or once I brought up where they came from. Now I mentioned things like maybe, if, 
or tomorrow or later, which I thought were great examples, but the one I didn't mention that I still find amusing, if not informative, is but. How did but come about? <laughs> now, if you also understand, if you grasp at least what I point to, that we would not have, one doesn't cause the other. They're simultaneous, or you could look at them as either one causing the other. That speech is necessary for the creation of man's secondary world. I assume you know what I mean by that now. And I'll put it to you the other way, though. The secondary world needing to come into existence, being our environment, made man come up with language. But in particular, are the abstract words. But let me go back to but. That's an abstract word. Before man had a secondary world, before the, the brain had conjured up the secondary reality, and picture back these kind of cartoonish cavemen scenes that men are still operating at the subsistence level that you're struggling to physically survive but let's also assume that we're in the later stages of that era and speech has become an operative function in man what would men be speaking of to start with they would still be speaking I submit to you if you look at it this way of strictly survival related terms They would be very blunt sentences. And what I'm getting at, I submit to you, there would be no such word as but. It would never cross one's mind. There would be no place for but. Okay, I'll give you an example if you insist. One caveman, one post-Neanderthal, I don't know your relatives personally, I'll leave it to you, to whichever one you prefer, post-caveman, early literate. One man comes to you. Remember, I'm still picturing this as men are speaking only about matters related to survival. One man has killed more food or found more food than he can possibly eat. And perhaps you've done him favors and he comes to you and he says, uh, you want to eat? Are you hungry? Let's say you got that many words. You would have words to start with about hungry and everything related, food. And you'd have things about sex, you know, women. You know, he found women somewhere. Water, a dry cave. I say to you, I ask you to consider how did the word but come about because it has nothing to do with survival. In other words, your caveman, back to my example, comes to you and he says, you hungry, you hungry? And you go, no, you either are or you aren't. You're either, and if, but if you say yes, you don't go, yes, but. For instance, yes, but I'm on a low-salt diet. <laughs> or yes, but uh, I have to know exactly. Is it French cuisine? I, I can't stand that, you know, artsy. Or a man comes and he says, women, women. You want women? He points, you know, like he knows where they are. And you go, yeah, but... You know, I've been thinking about taking up cross-dressing. Or <laughs> I submit to you, how did but come about? When you think about just the ordinary use, what does but mean? You make one statement. And also, I don't think any of you have ever paid any attention. Because most people don't pay attention to what goes on verbal-wise anyways. You should know. 
But I, I think you would all be shocked if you listen to yourself or just start listening to other people and see how often but is used. Put it to you another way. See how seldom are brief, non... <laughs> my grammar's failing me. Non-compound sentences. What's a non-compound? A simple sentence? Yes. Simple. But how seldom we speak in simple declarative but simple sentences. How common... Just about everything. Just listen to everybody from the president to news people to someone you're just in conversation with. No matter what you're talking about, people go, well, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But, da-da-da-da-da. And the, as is the fact for the most conversation, it really doesn't mean anything to your life anyway. But if you listen, I'll bet you, I can almost guarantee you, you will be astounded. You'll be highly surprised, and I ask you in advance, though, why? You can start analyzing the senses you hear, but I still find it interesting, if I didn't encourage your interest therein, is how did these non-material, these words have non-material, a non-material basis, an abstract idea, maybe. Maybe it would have been as rare as but been sort of the same thing, at least with the examples I just made up, for your fellow caveman goes you hungry? You hungry? And you go maybe. <laughs> if you're living at that level, you're not maybe hungry. You're either so full, you couldn't eat another, you know, you'd be sick. If you're living at that level, you eat until you're about to be sick, just in case. So if someone says are you hungry? It's either yes or no. But but back to the preface. You'd be, I think you'd be, once you look at it this way, you would also be surprised how often people use a, a form of preface. They're about to say something, and then they'll stumble around you and everybody else and go, la, 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 la. And what it amounts to is, let me tell you what I'm about to tell you. Let me tell you something about what I'm about to tell you. Let me apologize beforehand for what I'm about to say for this or that reason. Normally, it's people believe that they're incompetent anyway being one of the few times I say that ordinary people show any intelligence. <laughs> but back to where I really was, that this guy had a method to awaken. And you didn't have to go into a monastic uh, setting and live a life under a rule of silence. He said, what he taught was, never use the word but and only speak. This is just another aspect of And only speak in simple declarative sentences. Declarative. No questions. No rhetorical questions. And no compound sentences. So that you would never have occasion to use the word but. To be crude unless you're talking about that new woman he found her physique. But I don't want to be that crude. He would never use the word but. just a story but my story the guy said that that would be the way or one of the ways <laughs> to achieve enlightenment <laughs> but at any rate I was going to read these <laughs> I personally nobody asked me I like this one the, the whole little term is but be that as it may <laughs> Because to me it kind of distracts or it puts kind of a patina of some sort of literacy or perhaps you have some other intent, some other agenda other than just kill time or to apologize. You say, but, 
be that as it may. It's like, well, never mind what that may or may not mean. Let's go ahead. I don't know that it works, but I guess I picked it up a long time ago. I catch myself doing it. That's sort of, I feel like maybe a smoke screen. You kind of wiggle your fingers in front of people like, you know. <laughs> get, get distracted here. <laughs> There's more to me than I may sound just through these words. You know, certainly, my, what I say may sound simplistic if not insane, but, you know, be that as it may. But you're insinuating that, you know, perhaps you just don't realize the metaphorical intent. But, nevertheless, <laughs> just to show you I wouldn't go fall into my own trap. Nevertheless, I will begin to read these things. Here I go. That's for you people on audio. Here I go. A man inquired internally, quote, how is it that I come to be in this condition I so dislike? Then ask, how does a mechanical registering device come to have feelings, pro or con, about the matters it happens to make note of? And stranger still, how comes it to have any judgmental feelings about itself? End quote. What kind of mechanism has problems concerning self-image? What sort of reality suffers from low self-esteem? Does our universe perceive of itself as having flaws and shortcomings? Only via man's mental cognition of it and sufficient and subsequent commentary about it. I ruined the sentence. That's my preface. Here it goes. Does our universe perceive of itself as having flaws and shortcomings via man's mental cognition of it and subsequent commentary about it? And someone asks, says, I do believe that I understand the circumstances that you're describing, but even while seeing it, I am totally bewildered as to why life should be so arranged. End quote. No, sir, you are not bewildered. Your thoughts are. And even they aren't really. They just think they are. There are no vacant corners in the universe into which the universe can go, from which to look at itself and be bewildered by what it sees. You see, the universe, being an indivisible entity, is naturally awake and enlightened and offers an ongoing example for its internal parts who might care to join it. You know, like they went off somewhere to begin with. <laughs> Give up sequential cause and effect thinking. Don't fret over questions of what past events have brought about these present circumstances. Instead, try and picture all possible events going on simultaneously at this very moment. And even then, ask yourself, all possible events combined at this instant, what do they signify? What do they amount to? Think vertically rather than horizontally. Think of things as all bunched up rather than all strung out. 
Don't let thoughts focus on just what's happening to you at the moment. But rather, think about what's happening in every possible place simultaneously in this exact instant. If you're not extraordinarily weird and careful, here's what will happen. From fragments and echoes of long-ago dreams, do the thoughts always in you create the sense of you? It seems as though whoever wrote or typed this managed to trip me up. See, it's not, I wanted to... I wanted to say something beforehand, but I knew it would just sound like a cheap way to weasel out, so I waited until I got through so it wouldn't sound so cheap. What this was saying, uh, I could talk a long time and maybe I will, but we all know how thoughts operate. I pointed it out, and you surely have observed it. Am I not correct? Just under ordinary conditions, when you glance up, when you can hear the echoes, when you suddenly cease being your thoughts and become <laughs> you observing your thoughts and you catch the tail end of it, do they not appear to be in a kind of sequence? Like that kind of uh, running ticker screen in a broker's office that it's running through any sort of sign, a billboard, those electronic billboards, they run in sequence, the words, the same way the sentence is written. That would appear, I submit, I leave it to your observation, that you think in that way. We do have thoughts that are fragments, but we know what they mean. And if somebody, if we were having our thoughts flash from our brain up on a screen and some fragment came up, you could, if someone looked at it and went, huh? You could take the fragment and you could immediately, you wouldn't have to think about it, you would fill in, you'd flesh it out into a declarative sentence. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. An object and a subject. Some action. I started this off saying, try and think vertically instead of horizontally, is don't think sequentially. Uh, that's sort of tricky. It's somewhat of a verbal trick for me to put it that way, as far as I'm concerned. But there is a reality behind what I'm saying. The way I find it useful to start with is still what I'm sneaking up on about having to do with us being the same as the environment. And even if you look at it as we're not the same, what we don't look at is that everything that you believe that humans or that you and other people can do to the environment, the environment is doing to you. The environment is making you do what you think that you're doing to the environment, or making you come up with a plan or an analyzation that you or people are doing such and such with the environment. Okay, except for this. You're leaving out a part. The other half of it is, is that the environment is making people do that. A part of that is to understand what I was getting at, and this is still in the subject, is that, and surely you can do this, you can try to do it, and it'll have an effect if you keep trying, is right now, I just have to put it as simple as I can, try and think about this. You know that there are, just on this planet, on this planet, 
I forget the last guess they had of the planets. It's something like 10 to the fifth power or something. Something ungodly. But just on this planet, consider right now, of course I'm obviously making up, the 10 trillion different identify. well, all right, how about 6 billion? Let's look at the number of people. That everyone on this planet is doing something. So at this exact second, there are six billion things going on in this planet having to do with humans. And they're going on right now. Right, in this, right this second. Right this, this second, I'm saying right this second. Six billion other things are going on. Six billion other thoughts are being thought. Potentially six billion things are being said. They're at least being said in someone's head. And they're going on right this second. In that sense, there's more going on non-sequentially, that is simultaneously right this second, than you can even conceive of. And so it certainly outweighs in importance, it outweighs in potential significance, anything that you can sequentially think of in your mind, any one little thought. And I don't hear you know, how astounding the thought is to yourself, like, this may make me rich, or I may be dying. It pales in comparison to the fact that there's six billion thoughts going on besides yours at this moment. And besides just thoughts, that's the way it normally strikes me, but you can look at it as being things going on, events taking place, and I'm leaving out so-called natural events. I'm leaving out the lapping of the waves, the flooding of rivers, the drying up of rivers, lightning flashes, people being hit by lightning. Discounting all that, there are at least six billion things going on having to do with humans because, of course, I'm always referring to six billion humans. And they're going on right this second. And yet here we sit. It's got nothing to do with humility, as you know by now. But here we sit, or there you sit, and what we're individually doing, us and the other six billion people under ordinary conditions, is of supreme importance. Mm-hmm. Nobody's interested in some kind of philosophical thing, which you obviously know I'm not engaging in, but there wouldn't be interested if I presented some sort of philosophical, even philosophical, cum spiritual aspect of like, well, each person thinks their little nit shit life and whatever's going on is important, but my God! There's six billion people on this planet at this very second, and they think their little nit shit lives are important. How dare you? Who do you think you are? And blah, blah, blah. All six billion people. That's the way the brain operates. That's the way the subcortical level operates. Is every wolf, every ant is fighting? Well, maybe not ants. They're too weird. They're too social. Notice there's no such thing as ant monasteries. Mm-hmm. nor bees and damn few wolves at any rate that's a whole other night sometime or several nights having to do with the socialization and you notice I just picked on it they have the right idea oh I think some of you I'm keep trying to work up to it how about all me picking on Weight Watchers, Smoke Enders? I like I still like Weight Watchers. That you go pay somebody for you to lose weight. 
or you go pay somebody so that you can go there and talk to them and say, yes, I'm a drunk. And they all applaud. And you pay money. Not just money, but you go to the effort. They have the right idea. I have no business making fun. They have the right idea. Assuming you're an ordinary person. So, I didn't point that out about ants not having any monasteries, or in fact they have no known systems, no matter how crude, but no system I know of that uh, purports to lead to enlightenment. But rather than look at it as uh, being an assault on ants, we'll just pass over it for the night. <laughs> if you can sit and think and not take it personally, not take it as being an, uh, an attack on egoism, none of that, but just on no duty, just consider what I said. It's not theoretical. There are six billion people, more or less, alive on this planet right now, and they are all doing something. And each and every one, even those asleep right now, if you awaken them and say, what's the most important thing to you? If they're sane, they will say, me. What's the most important thing in your life? My life. There's six billion people, all, as I got off the track, as subcortically, they all feel that way. But nobody takes it personally at that level. But at the thought level, Everyone, everyone takes it extremely personally. And by taking it personally, this is not what causes it, but by taking it personally, the end result is, is that you have no conception, it never crosses your mind, you're just blanked out the fact that six billion other events are going on, six billion other thoughts are going on right now, contemporaneous with yours. It's not a matter of better or worse, but if you can't, well, I'm sure I shouldn't put it in the negative. You people by now, I believe all of you get something. It's obvious what I'm saying is true, but it has an emotional jolt to it when you actually realize the reality behind it for yourself. And so I was encouraging you to struggle against, or at least not accept passively, that running bored with the stock quotes, with the news, running through in sequential, they're running through you sequentially. Normally with a, a noun, a verb, maybe an object, and sad to say probably a conjunction in there. But! Oh well. Back to the news. A boy asked his father, what's it like to have a son? And he replied, like knowing how to be free, yet returning to captivity. Or, a boy asked his father, what's it like to know how to be free, yet return to captivity? And he replied, like having a son. If you produce progeny, you create your own prison. I assume by now everyone's called on. I use father and son. I mean something specifically, and I'm not talking about two different humans. <laughs> oh, doctor, come look. This mirror just gave birth to a little boy. <laughs> Nurse, you're hallucinating again. 
He who lives by reflection never dies. It's actually worse than that. He who wants to know what's going on and who lives by reflection never gets fully alive enough to begin with. The life they lead in thoughts, in their thoughts, is total illusion, same as everyone else. But everyone else isn't bothered by it like the few. Every person's brain produces an offspring. The child is imaginary. Being enlightened is in, the, is in finally figuring this out. Bye-bye, Papa. You're almost real. The speaker opened his remarks with these words. Quote, What I'm about to tell you, even though I made it up, is so incredible that even I can hardly believe it. And in an adjoining room occurred this conversation. You think more of that damn motorcycle than you do me. Yeah, and your point being? <laughs> Verdict. All too often do people believe that they know what they're doing. Right up till it's too late. Well, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to read the first part again to make sure that the speaker opened his remarks thus, and I'm quoting, What I'm about to tell you people, even though I made it up, is so incredible that even I can hardly believe it. Such would be the only thing even approaching being worthwhile to hear. Guess you hadn't figured it out. Back to the news. Knowing what's going on acts like a filter through which your thoughts and feelings into thoughts are stripped of all useless preferences and their illusionary sense of being anything personal. Thus, you do not have to picture the aim as being the stilling of all mental activity, but rather its sterilization, thus allowing a purification of your reactions thereto. A man who knows what's going on knows how to handle thoughts so as to always have clean hands. And from still another view, that's all that being enlightened adds up to. Nurse, come over here. No, never mind. Back to the news. One man's method for breaking through was to question everything he did, said or thought, until he realized the reality behind his apparent ability to question himself. Question what self? Who's that doing the questioning? In fact, had this other person ever get inside here with me in the first place? What me? What person? What other person? Hello? 
<laughs> End quote. So I hope you people keep track. You know, it's not me saying all this shit sometimes. That was an exact, it's in quotation marks. I was just reading it. And yet another definition for being awake is a condition wherein the routine thoughts the, brain's run, the brain runs through you are no longer of any significance or interest. That sounds about, literally, about as far afield as any mystical description you ever heard. But some of you surely smell or even have tasted the truth of that. One man presents himself with the following insight. The joy of using a typewriter is that, since no one knows what they're going to say next, seeing your words appear there on paper as quickly as your fingers can move lets you know as fast as possible. He paused and looked intently, then curiously at the paper from which he had read the above, screwed up his mouth several times and said, well, it made sense when I wrote it. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. The reminder man came around today to remind you that all comments about man morph into criticisms. And now that I brought that up, I never did tell you about the in-your-face man's visit, wherein he announced that anything you even say about men or about man merely reveals your total ignorance. Which is one reason, if you notice normally what I bring here to read are quotes from other people. I am not going to that easily fall into that trap. <laughs> except for this one here it's not in quotation marks everything the mind sees in the universe has form the universe itself has no form the universe and the mind are similar in a way not normally noticed a simple fact but super vexing no one's ever wanted to wake up until they've gone to sleep. <laughs> and that's a little late, don't you think? Friends, do not let this happen to you. Oh, really? Well, I too regret that I didn't get here sooner to mention this. But things have been so hectic around here, it being picking season and all. Okay, set down those pails and baskets and listen up. An even simpler fact. Being upset that you're asleep, now that you've heard about it, only, ser only serves to make your brain feel annoyed with itself. And what purpose that serves, I challenge you to say. The difference between a dog and a man is that a dog is not asleep. The difference between a dog and a man is that a man believes he can awaken. The difference between the cortex and the rest of the brain is that the cortex says that it is asleep and has made itself believe it and has made itself believe it. The difference between the intelligence of a dog and that of a man compared to the difference between the intelligence of the cortex and the rest of the brain is a matter I don't care to get into. How about you? 
trying to achieve enlightenment of the mind through any method you know, through any method now known to man, is tantamount to trying to get your brain to get mad at itself. <laughs> and a boy asked his father, can facts actually be brutal? And his dad replied, well, same as a ghost stepping on your foot. Another view of the problematic value of words is that ordinary men have a quite solid recognition of their general impotency, which explains their incessant loose use thereof. I just made a new one for you. Do you realize that there's one method that you can use for two purposes? You can use it to spot a routine intellectual and a serious and seriously misguided mystic. They both place extreme importance on words. Well, now back to reading what I have written. I guess I stepped in it again. To his exhaustion and chagrin at doing the same old thing again, one man decided to accept the obvious and publicly proclaim as his motto the one others adhere to in private. <clears throat> Here it is. Live and pretend to learn. Does anybody need a, another reminder of how far, even though it doesn't seem it, but how far internally, I was going to say we, how about at least what I'm talking about, or me, is removed from ordinary people? Because one of the better known, I've seen it translated in all kinds of languages, but you know it's just, it is an accepted truism, or an accepted truth. It's not even a truism, but the phrase, live and learn. But this man, he understood it, and he decided to go ahead and just acknowledge what was obviously, up to this point, the inevitable, and to tell it like it is. To actually publicly say, even though other humans publicly say, well, live and learn. He decided to go ahead and publicly say what it is that they actually live by. That is live and pretend to learn. A certain traveler says that on a recent trip, he had a most extraordinary experience. He found a hotel whose charge for the night is determined by your IQ. <laughs> Makes sense to me. How about you? can't resist rubbing it in. Nobody likes it. You come in for a place to sleep for the night. You register and you ask you know, the price. And they have a chart and they look down and they ask your IQ, your IQ score. And then you tell them and they look down. You can see him running his finger down and look, moves over to the right. And he gives you the price for the night based upon your IQ. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
What I still like is I only bring you, I only write down and bring you the ones I think, well, maybe somebody will get it. That's what I should do when you guys on some St. Quantum's got some of that good, some of that new stuff I understand, some of that, that whole new batch of, anyway. When you're in that shape is to bring some of those that I just normally discard. <laughs> there was once this circus family whose daughter could do tricks with her feet. The son could do tricks with his dick. The mother could do tricks with her eyes. And the father could do tricks with his fingers. But, see, but none of them could do tricks with their brains. For if you ask the brain to do some trick... It will make a yucky face and say, What the hell am I doing talking to myself? Oh. You mean you've never noticed? <laughs> Thoughts are like the heavens. Full of motion, but going nowhere. The boy asked his father, next to being awake itself, what is your second most pleasant activity? And he replied, thinking about it, same as you. My new typewriter doesn't have a sarcasm shift that I can make it. Those who say that the path of enlightenment ultimately leads and this or leads to this or that reward or condition have yet to reach the ultimate end. Those who continue to insist that nothing is something know nothing. Someone then could ask me how I can say what I just said about all of this and I could reply that I can do so because I don't mean it. At least wise verbally. To be impersonal toward the thoughts your brain puts, puts in you is to be free. And there is no liberation beyond this. Believing that what is to be done is to change your thinking is, for the few, the ultimate tar baby. A reminder, a certain kind of awareness is the key. Not some knowledge, not some experience. Not some thinking about it, not some talking about it, not some reading about it, not some anything about it, but a certain kind of continual awareness. That's the key. Your brain knows it. I've just said it. You've just heard it. The cat's out of the bag has always been. Your brain knows it. Why can't you remember it? Hint, keep asking your brain this question constantly, relentlessly. And you can discover a normally underlooked type of awareness. That's the key, the awareness, and why can't you remember it? Your brain damn well knows it. It just can't understand why you don't remember it. But nevertheless, exercise this certain kind of awareness and everything eventually becomes clear as can be.
thanks tonight became or sounded somewhat viscid, if not abstruse, and I would like to explain it. Being too late for a preface, I have an apologetic suffix. And for those of you who don't know, that's in the northeastern part of Virginia, not far, not far out of Washington, D.C. <laughs> Which, I can tell you already, once you think about that, then much of what I read tonight becomes clear. You go, oh, suffolks, Jesus. Because I know some of you were laying more in the area of like wheeling, maybe, or <laughs> even Chevy Chase, but it suffolks. <laughs> All of you decided that we'll leave it at that, <laughs> and I concur.